sound mic, so thank you. Um, if you're newer here or you're just not aware, um, our church has a teaching team made up of various people that take turns sharing the message during our Sunday services. And this really um, highlights one of the values of our church, which is the priesthood of all believers. And One Life really values giving space for different voices to be heard. Um, and so uh, it was a surprise maybe to some of you, but um, you know, depending on how, how I do, I might be up here every once in a while again in the future. So be kind to me. Um, for most of my professional life, I have worked with preschoolers or college students. So I know there might be some college students in the room. I don't see any preschoolers, so we'll see how I do talking to a room full of adults. I know the youth are in here this morning, so um, thanks for supporting me in being here. This morning, we're going to be continuing our discipleship series in the context of the book of Mark. Last week, Pastor Jay Wu shared on Mark 8, 27 through 38, and today we're going to be in chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. Before I read the passage today, though, I want to give you a little context of what happened right before this. So in verses 13 through 16, we read a familiar story for a lot of us. Um, people are bringing their children to Jesus for Jesus to bless them. And the disciples feel like Jesus is way too important for these kids, and so tells the, the kids and the people to take the kids away. But the verses tell us that Jesus becomes indignant. And I, I don't know if this gives you an insight to my personality, but I love that word because it's, it's more than just like, come on, guys, there's this like righteous um, feeling of like, this is not right. And so Jesus says like, no, like bring the children to me. And he goes even further and says, if you want to receive my kingdom, you have to receive it like a child. And so Jesus not only welcomes the children, but he kind of elevates them and says, this is actually the example for you. And so I want us to keep that in mind because we'll come back to that uh, later today. And that is what happens right before this interaction we're going to read about. So in chapter 10, um, I'm going to read the whole passage, and then we'll break it up into a couple different parts. So this is Mark 10, 17 through 31. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack. He said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. 
Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are the first will be last, and the last first. So there's a lot in this passage, a lot of things to focus on, a lot that is happening. So as I said, we're going to split it up into two sections, and we're going to look at a couple reflection questions as we go along. So first of all, verses 17 through 22. When the man approaches Jesus, he refers to him as good teacher, as you see in this first verse. And initially, Jesus ignores his question completely and responds with a question of his own. In the next verse, he says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. I think that in this place, Jesus is trying to make a point and set up some context for the man before he answers the question. He wants to make the point of God's supremacy, both in his goodness and his worthiness. He's reminding the man, if you want to ask me, if you think someone is good, this is only God, and God is worthy and God is good. I think there's also an implication here that if the man is asking Jesus this question and Jesus proceeds to answer that Jesus himself is God because he's giving, he's responding to that and actually giving an answer. Jesus starts to answer the man's question by referencing the five of the Ten Commandments, which are found in the Old Testament in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. If you're like me, it's actually been a while since I've looked at the Ten Commandments. When I was a kid growing up in church, we learned them, and I have read Exodus and Deuteronomy, um, you know, since I was a kid. But uh, a lot of us know them or know some of them. It's kind of fun to call people out on some of them, you know. Um, but Jesus gives us a broader view, as, as he does throughout the Gospels. So we're going to look at them today. They're going to be up on the screen in case it's been a while. So this is kind of a summary taken from those two places in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. You shall have no other gods before me. This is God talking. You shall not make, yourself, make for yourselves an idol. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. And you shall not covet. In many of the commentaries that I read as I was researching for this message, and in one specifically and through the Bible, um, author J. Vernon McGee explains that the first of the, the Ten Commandments um, are what's called the piezas, and these refer to someone's relationship with God. And the second set of the Ten Commandments are the propizas, and these refer to your relationship with other people. So those first ones are talking about how you relate to God, and the second five are talking about how you relate to other people. So if you were listening or reading in the passage, Jesus mentions the second ones to the man. He doesn't list all Ten Commandments. He talks about those, you shall not steal, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. That's what he lists to the man that asks him. And the man says, I have done all these things since I was a boy. And Jesus doesn't counter him. He's not like, well, remember that one time when you were eight? You know, he says, he just looks at him with compassion. He doesn't fight him on that. And it says that he loved him. And so when we see that, that, that 
phrase, we know that that means Jesus is taking compassion on this man. And he's seeing, okay, this guy really means it. He wants to know what he needs to do. So out of compassion and love for the man, he says that he lacks one thing. And he says that you need to sell your possession, you need to give to the poor, you need to follow Jesus. Um, and the, the man, when he hears this, he, he, he's sad. We see that he says his face fell and he walked away sad because his wealth was great. I think it's easy to think that, oh, Jesus is telling him one more thing he needs to do to other people, right? Sell your stuff, give it to other people, and come follow me. That seems like something that would relate to other people. But I actually think Jesus is bringing up an issue of the man's relationship with God, that his wealth and possessions were an issue of his heart and his relationship with God. So he says, yeah, you did all these things, but the thing you lack, your wealth and possessions and the way you're relating to those is actually those first five commandments, the way that impacts your relationship with me. And so this is a really big point because I think often when we read this passage, we fixate on the camel and the needle and the wealth, which we're gonna talk about. And for me, I grew up in a working class community and in a family that had enough, but wealth and possessions were not the priority. And so I always read this as like a gotcha passage for the rich. Like, see, you're not supposed to be rich. All those rich people, like Jesus says, don't be rich, right? So when I see your fancy cars and your fancy shoes, like, you're not supposed to do that. Um, and I think that's, that's easy, right? Because then it lets me off the hook. Like, Jesus isn't talking to me, he's talking to those rich people, right? <laughs> Now, as I grew up, I learned a couple of things. One, I actually am pretty rich. Even if by, by American standards I wasn't rich, um, compared to the world, right, we're, we're at a very high level. Just the fact that I have consistent electricity, running water, a cell phone, a computer, a car, like, I'm up there, right? Um, but also, I've learned, especially as I really prepared for this passage, I don't think it's just about the money. I think that's a really easy way to look at this passage. I think it's too simplistic as a, of an interpretation to say Jesus is just talking to rich people here. One of the things I love most about Jesus, and I often resist about him, is that he always has a message for all of us, right? Whenever it's like, ah, oh, he's talking to those people, there's something in it for me too, right? So even if I'm not rich, even if I'm not whatever the category is, there's still a message that Jesus has for me. And whenever I feel in my heart this temptation to be like, oh, this part I don't have to pay attention to because I'm not whatever, I need to look deeper. Because God, because he loves us and he's gracious to us, he always has a message to call us to go deeper and to understand him better and to grow and transform into the people he has. So then as I look at this, I'm like, okay, well, if it's not just about the money, then, then what is the message, right? What might be the message for me? For this man, I do think it was about the money. What was preventing him from inheriting an eternal life or living fully in God's kingdom was his great wealth and the sense that those things were what mattered to him. It says he went away sad because he had great wealth. He wasn't willing to give it all up. Now, that's a big ask, right? It's also easy as a kid to be like, what's that guy's problem? He should have just sold everything, you know? But it's like, well, I didn't have very much to sell, so that's easy to say. But if you have a lot, it's hard to give up a lot. And so as we look back at those, those Ten Commandments, the first ones that Jesus didn't mention, don't worship other gods, don't have idols, don't use the name of the Lord in vain, keep the Sabbath. In order to keep these commands, 
we have to have a right relationship with God. We have to be putting God first. It, it, we have to depend on him to be able to do those things because if we think we're doing them but our relationship's not right with God, we're not really doing them. I think, like, I don't have any, like, I don't, like, carve idols and, like, worship them, but there are things that I put before God, right? I might say, like, I don't believe in other gods. It's only God. But where I spend my time, where I spend my money, what I think about, those can be gods. By not honoring the Sabbath day, I don't trust God. I'm like, if I don't get this stuff done today, everything's going to fall apart. But if I was really depending on God and trusted him, I would be able to take a day of rest without working and stressing because I knew who God was. And I think it's easy with not using the Lord's name in vain. I was just talking to someone about this. I think it's easy to be like, well, don't say, oh, my God, and don't do all these things. Right? I think there's probably a place for that, but I don't think God really cares as much as when we say and do things in the name of God that are not reflective of who God is. I think that's what that really means. It's easy to not say those things, but it's a lot harder to have a pure heart and right intentions when we invoke the name of God. And we could, you know, do a whole sermon series on how we, we misuse God's name um, to, to benefit ourselves or to benefit a certain movement. Um, and so I think those things you can't do truly if your relationship with God is not right. And so that's what Jesus is pointing out as he's talking to this man. So this brings us to the first reflection question that I want us to spend some time on. And it's going to be up on the screen. What is preventing me from fully living in God's kingdom? It could be our wealth, like this man. It could be our education. It could be the great job we have. It could be our physical abilities. It could also be, on the other side, our fear, or our shame, or our struggle, or our hurt. Anything that we boast in, that we claim, that gets in the way of us focusing on Jesus. In Jeremiah 9, in the Old Testament, verses 23 and 24, it says, This is what the Lord says, Let not the wise boast in their wisdom, or the strong boast in their strength, or the rich boast in their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. I find myself sometimes boasting in those negative things, my busyness, my tiredness, my anxiety, my, my past hurts, because it's like, oh, these things, I, they kind of become a badge of honor. And I think in American society especially, it's like you're really great if you got three hours of sleep and drank like four cups of coffee, right? It's like, oh, you must be important. You must be doing things. Now, I know at some stages of life, you get four hours of sleep and need four cups of coffee, right? But when we boast in those things and say, like, this means I'm important or valuable, um, that can get in the way, too. It's not just these, like, positive things. So I think we need to really pay attention to what is impacting our relationship with God. I can't tell you what that thing is for you. I could tell you what I think, but most likely that's wrong because I don't know your motivations. I don't know what really impacts your relationship with God. As we look at um, the second section, Mark 10, 23 through 31, we will see how Jesus and his disciples debrief this interaction. And we now, all of the resources that I, I saw as I was researching for this agree that Jesus is using hyperbole here, an exaggerated statement to make a point. 
And I love that Jesus does this because it reminds me that he's a human who does human-like things, like making exaggerated statements to make a point, right? Now, most of us do that. We tell our children, like, wait a second. We don't really mean that, right? And some of you have had children that are like, one, okay, doesn't work. Or we go the other way, right? Like, oh, man, it's like a million degrees today. And it's like 82 degrees, you know? But we like to make these exaggerated statements. And so I like to think Jesus was like that. And sometimes probably his disciples, like, enjoyed it. And sometimes they were like, come on, Jesus. Like, what do you really mean? Um, because sometimes exaggerated statements can do that. Because sometimes you don't know what people really mean. Like, was it really that bad? Or are you just being dramatic? And so I like this. Um, and so we're going to, I'm going to do a little, as I said, I work with preschoolers. So I have a few props for us. So I'm going <laughs> to step away from the mic for a second. So in where Jesus lived, the largest, like, animal around there was a camel, okay? <laughs> so here's, here's a camel, not life-size. Um, and I have here a sewing needle. Now, even those of you in the front row might have a hard time seeing the eye of this needle, but it's, it's the little hole at the top, right? And I found the biggest... Uh, eye on all my needles, right? I found the biggest one to see, like, right? This is ridiculous, right? If I told you, like, before you can leave church today, you have to get the camel through the eye of the needle, you'd be calling some meal delivery services, right? Because we're going to be here for a while. And this is, like, nowhere near the size of a real camel. Camels, um, from the research I did, are much bigger than horses. They're, like, over six feet tall. They're really big, right? So Jesus was not really saying that the only people, you know, like, if they could just do this, they could go to heaven. He's making a point, though, of what? That it is hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, right? Because we use hyperbole to make a point. We still have a point to make. And so Jesus is saying that it's difficult. Because riches complicate our lives. They They divide our affections. And they make it easier for us to think we are self-sufficient because we have our retirement, we have our nice, dependable car, we have our safe house. Whatever it is, they make, us, they make it easier for us to focus on ourselves. Even though this is true, I think the main point is our relationship with our money and how that impacts our relationship with God more than the money itself. In my experience, I've seen that even a lack of wealth can do the same thing. It makes us focus on the money instead of our relationship with God because we're so concerned if we're saving enough, if we have enough, and it can still make us very focused on the money and focused on ourselves instead of God. Jesus answers the disciples' question, who then can be saved if not the rich, by saying that for all things are possible with God. The point here is that the ability to enter God's kingdom is a gift, not something we can do on our own, even if we are the ones with power, standing, and status in society. Do you remember the children that we talked about? Jesus said, these are the ones, you have to receive the kingdom like these. In the time of this story, children had essentially no status, no standing in community, no value. But Jesus challenges that idea. This rich man would have been the one that was saved. Rich people were 
assumed to be blessed by God. They were esteemed in society. And Jesus flips that around and said, this guy has stuff he's got to do. And these children get it. You need to receive the gift of the kingdom like these, like these children. I'm not sure where this term came from, but when I was reading over this, I thought of this idea that the kingdom of God is like an upside-down kingdom. It's flipped on its head. The way that we think things should go are the opposite. The kingdom of God does not operate like societies and like kingdoms on earth. To be a part of God's kingdom, we have to realize that we can't buy our way in or earn our way in or behave our way in. Like children, we must receive the kingdom as a gift. Now, Jesus does have a lot to say about the rich, both in this passage and all throughout his teachings. So as we're talking about, right, if you have money, you can't also do the flip and be like, I'm off the hook. This isn't for me, right? Like, I think there's something we need to evaluate there. But again, that's not the main point. Now, the disciples, they quickly want to find their place in all of this. It's one of the disciples' biggest questions. Like, where do we stand? How are we going to get honored? What does this mean for us? And so they, unlike the rich man, they had given up pretty much everything to follow Jesus, right? And like on the spot, Jesus is like, hey, leave your nets and come follow me. And they did it. And so they want to know, what does this mean for us? And Jesus assures them that all who have given up things to follow him will receive even more back in this life and the life to come. But then just to make sure that the disciples don't put their hope in that thing or think that they got it all together, Jesus includes persecution in the list of what they will gain. And he says, but those who are first will be last and the last first. Now, I do not know all of your stories in this room. And so there is a chance that some of you have experienced legitimate persecution in your life and persecution because of your belief in Jesus. But most of us in modern day United States of America, we do not experience persecution because we follow Jesus. We might have some inconveniences. People might make some snide comments. But really, that's no worse than probably what we do to other people, right? Persecutions for the disciples were serious. They had horrible deaths. They were without food. They were shipwrecked. They, all sorts of things happened to them. And so that's part of what this means to be a part of God's kingdom. And so even though he says, like, yeah, you'll get stuff back, he's also reminding them it's, it's going to be tough. And just in case you really think you've got it, many of the first will be last, and the last will be first. So as soon as you start to put yourself in that position, you've got to remember that the way I do things are not like the way the world does things. So this brings us to our second reflection question. Where can I be more aware of the upside-down nature of God's kingdom in my own life? This could mean becoming aware of our tendency to put more value on those whose society values or to align our goals with the goals of those around us. It could also mean becoming aware of the pride that comes from thinking we are doing it better than other people. Because of where I grew up and just my personality, I often admire people who are doing things differently than other people. I have this rebel streak in me that often can be dangerous for my relationship with God or other people. Now, a lot of you know me pretty well, and that might be surprising. And I think that's part of the reason why I like this rebel streak, because I often don't act on it. But when I see other people doing it, it like feels like, oh, I could do that, right? I could break out of this. And this can play out in trivial ways. One of the things I do is if anyone, if there's like a popular trend, I boycott it. It doesn't matter what it is. 
If like everyone's into it, I'm like, no. And this usually backfires on me because like most of the time people are into there's like a reason, right? But like 10 years later, I'm like, oh, I should have like, you know, listened to that band or like watched that movie or whatever, you know? And so I discover things later because I just like, I hold out. Like, I don't want to do that. But it can also play out in more serious ways. Like, I feel like I got it all figured out and all these other people are wrong. And if they would just like, follow God like I follow God, it would be okay. And I have this, this desire to be different and to, to rebel against what other people are doing. And even as I try to avoid self-righteousness, judgment, and the exclusion I see in other people, I'm doing that myself. It can arise in me. And even as I think, I understand how God's kingdom is different. You've got to value these people. I start to to become just like the world because I don't value the other people, right? And I think, like, these people are first, and those people don't even deserve a place. And then God's like, no, you got it backwards again, right? And so we have to guard our hearts. I have to guard my heart against the pride that comes from thinking, if I understand how this works, if I do it this way, then it'll be, I got it all good. And then Jesus reminds me, like, no, you're never going to get it all good. You need to depend on me. You need my grace. Um, And so we forget, I forget so quickly. Uh, We see both in Jesus's interaction with the rich man and the disciples that the cost of being a disciple is great. And this is in the passage that Pastor Jay shared last week, right? Like you got to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Like Jesus never pretended it was going to be easy. And the disciples that followed him were asked to give up a lot on a consistent basis. I also think in this passage, though, we see a great example of the greatest commandments as Jesus identifies them in Mark 12 and Matthew 22. So we're going to look at these. This is like jumping ahead in Mark a little bit. Um, but Mark 12:28 through 31. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. By considering what is getting in the way of us living in God's kingdom, we're loving God, right? Because like we talked about, we have to love God, know God, and depend on God in order to do those commandments, to to follow him fully. By living out the reality that God's kingdom is one where the conventions of society are flipped on their heads and the first are last and the last are first, we have, we, we're loving others more fully. Wherever we are in life, I think the message here is the same. The call is to dependence on God, trusting him with whatever we want to hold on to as our safety and security. And in the process of living that out, we must stay humble and remember to receive the kingdom of God as a gift. I want us to take a few minutes here in just a minute to reflect on those reflection questions a little bit more. I think it's easy to, to hear passages and we, we got a bunch of input and you might have been distracted by the cute camel and we forget the message that God has for us. And so I think as we, we look at this story and the interaction that Jesus had with the rich man and also the interaction that he had with his disciples, I want us to take some time to to consider these two questions. What is preventing me from fully living in God's kingdom? 
And where can I be more aware of the upside down nature of God's kingdom in my own life? The rich man asked Jesus a question, and I think he was sincere. He wanted to know, how do I inherit eternal life? What do I need to do? But when he heard the answer, he turned away sad because his riches were so great. When we hear the answers that God has for us, I pray that we have the strength by the Spirit's power within us to step forward into what God has for us, even when the sacrifice seems great. Because God's love for us and his grace for us is calling us into his kingdom. And we don't want to miss that because of this whatever it is that we're holding on to. So may God speak to us clearly and may we respond in humility. Uh, COVID is a very, it's pesky. It's, it's a pesky son of a gun. And um, so this last month of having COVID and recovering from it and it was like the best of times and it was like the worst of times. It was, um, and uh, <clears throat> in that moment, uh, well, coming out of it, I, um, I was sharing with my spiritual director that like, I feel like I'm in like kind of a season of thriving. I don't know what it is. I can't pinpoint it, but coming out of COVID, I'm like, man, I feel like things feel effortless. And, um, and kind of processing it and kind of answering these questions about what's preventing me from seeing living fully living in God's kingdom and where can I be more aware of the upside down nature of God's kingdom in my life? I, I realized I was answering these questions as I was processing why, why was it that I was having these two kind of almost opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of my relationship with God because the first week that I had COVID it was like God and then what the and some languages that I cannot say, you know? And it was a moment of just like, we tried so hard to not get COVID. And then, you know, it just happens now, just boom. And, and so it was, it was, a, it was a, two weeks of just voicing our frustrations with God um, and anger. And, um, and then coming out of it, and, and um, it was just a season of thriving. I just, it felt like, um, <clears throat> you shouldn't say this as a leader, but, you know, but I, but whatever. Um, I tend to be in my head a lot, and that stalls me a lot, and it it always has me second-guessing things, and just something about the last two weeks coming out of COVID, just everything felt effortless, and um, processing that with my spiritual director, I, I think one of the things I realized was that I just, there's, a, <clears throat> I just, there's this idea of like, um, <laughs> I wasn't trying. Like, I, I wasn't trying to project myself in a certain way. I wasn't trying to be like this type of pastor that I feel like I, I expect, like y'all expect from me. You know, it's just like, I just, I could just be me and that's enough. And that's good. And that's kind of like the upside down nature of God, right? Our, 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 our culture and like just our, just the way we're wired, it says like, we have to try to be something or, you know, get to some place or be something. But God's like, no, just, you could be you and that's good. Because that's the way you are. It's part of my, part of our Imago Dei, part of our unique Imago Dei. And we are received as such. And part of 
the challenge of us not being able to see God's upside down kingdom is we are the ones that are standing in the way of that, whether it's pride or shame or whatever. And so as we prepare our hearts for communion, let's take a moment and let's, let's pause and let's, 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 sit this, let's sit in this a little bit. And let's ask the Holy Spirit to bring up to surface those spaces that are, that are in the way of us living, fully living in God's kingdom. Let's allow the Spirit to bring up those spaces where we can be more aware of just God's upside down nature of His kingdom in our lives. So let's do that for a few, few minutes.